You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Welcome to everyone. Uh, Matthew 3, hopefully that is where you are. I know that we looked at this verse last week, but um, like any good story, uh, Matthew 3, verse 13 through verse 17 uh, has many layers to it. And so we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this story this week than we did last week. So Matthew 3, starting in verse 13, we'll read to verse 17. It says, And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we, we really do, as you know, come in here with, with probably even more baggage than we're all aware of. Uh, some of us come in here in debt up to our eyeballs. We come in here discontent. We come in here uh, in many ways confused about who we are and what you've called us to do. In many ways, we're defining ourselves by what happened in the past or by what's going on in the present. And and we just need you, Holy Spirit, today to, to help us go from believing the lies about who the enemy says that we are to believing the truth about who you say we are so that we can be transformed for our good and your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. On February 7th, 1940, Disney released their second animated feature, which actually went on to be one of their most celebrated films of all time and actually is one of the only films on Rotten Tomatoes that has 100% Rating. Does anybody know what movie I'm talking about? Fantasia. Not Fantasia. It's a movie. Pinocchio. All right. And I know many of you are probably familiar with this film, but let me just kind of give you a refresher. Basically what happens in Pinocchio is this lonely old woodcarver you see in the picture by the name of Geppetto wants a boy so bad that he carves one out of wood. And he actually goes to bed later that night, and while he is asleep, this benevolent fairy comes into the house and actually brings Pinocchio to life, right? He, she makes him into like this real-life puppet. And what she says to him, though, if you want to go from being a real-life puppet to being a real-life boy, you're going to have to prove yourself. You're going to have to be brave. You're going to have to be kind. You're going to have to be selfless. And so she sends him out on a journey with Jiminy Cricket, who serves kind of as his conscience, but unfortunately, as you know, uh, Pinocchio begins to go astray, right? Like rather than going to school, he goes to a puppet show. Rather than telling the truth, he tells lies. Rather than going home, he goes to Pleasure Island, right? I mean, Pinocchio, his life just begins to fall apart, right? I mean, the wheels fall off of the thing. And so he's a mess, but eventually... He hears about how Geppetto, his creator there, is swallowed by a well, uh, and single-mindedly, um, Pinocchio decides to go to the ocean to save Geppetto from the well, and therefore, as a result of that, because of his bravery, right, because of his kindness and benevolence, he's eventually brought to life as a real-life boy. And most of you, I know, you're familiar with this story of Pinocchio, but have you ever stopped and asked yourself this question? Have you ever noticed how this story, the story of Pinocchio, along with so many other stories in our culture today, 
really do center on the search for identity. The search to become the real me. I mean, from Beauty and the Beast to Cinderella to Elsa and Frozen to Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, all of these stories really are about a new identity being granted or a new identity trying to be recovered. And this isn't just something in fairy tales. I mean, this is something we see all throughout our culture. In fact, Ralph Ellison, who is the author of the, no- the novel The Invisible Man, he was once asked the question, would you say that the search for identity is primarily an American theme? To which he responded, it is the American theme. From Huckleberry Finn on a river to Rocky Balboa right in the ring, this theme of identity dominates our stories because the search for identity dominates our lives. Like Pinocchio, what I submit to you this morning, we all long to become the real version of ourselves. We all long to prove ourselves, or as Rocky said it, the most American films I think of all time, all I want to do is go the distance so I'll know I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. Whether you realize it or not, listen, we are all on this journey of trying to discover our true identity and calling. Every single person in here, one thing we have in common is we are all trying to discover who am I really and what is my purpose here on earth. And therefore, the whole point of my sermon this morning is for this sermon to hopefully serve as a signpost that will point you towards the right direction, to help you discover who you really are, to, to uncover your God-given identity and calling so that you can be the man or the woman that God has created you to be. Does that make sense? And so um, what I want to do is I just want to go back to Matthew chapter 3, and I just want to look at verse 16 and 17 again as a way to kind of catapult ourselves into the message. And notice what happens. Again, verse 16 of Matthew 3. It says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And when he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, look at verse 17. It says, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Notice in this passage, Where is it that Jesus is getting his identity and calling from? From his heavenly father. The question I want to ask you this morning is, as a follower of Jesus, where are you right now getting your identity and calling from? Is your identity and calling, is it coming from the voice of the heavenly father? Is it coming from one who is in heaven? Or is it coming from someone or something here on earth? The reason I ask that is I think all of us in here today are tempted to find our identity in someone or something here on earth. For some of us, we find our identity in our performance. These are people who believe the lie, I am what I do. If you think about in our culture today, the questions like, hey, how many points are you averaging? What did you make on your ACT? Where did you get your degree from? What do you do for a living? Or the, the, the question that pastors often ask other pastors, how many members do you have? Or how many are you running on a Sunday? Like almost like we're talking about cattle, you know? These are all performance-based questions. They are results-oriented, which isn't a bad thing in itself. But the problem is because we live in such a performance-based society, we are all tempted to believe that our achievements or lack thereof are the absolute most important thing about us. And that's because for some of us, we're tempted to root our identity in our performance. For others of you, you're like, that's not a temptation for me at all. So maybe for you, 
your, your, your temptation is not to root your identity in your performance, but in your possessions. These are people who believe the lie, I am what I have. There's the people who believe the lie, I am what I wear. So if I wear a suit and tie, I'm a businessman, right? If I wear, you know, skinny jeans and a toboggan, like I'm a hipster, right? Or, or whatever else. Like These are people who believe the lie. I am what I text on. I am what I drive. I am what kind of house you see me living in. Um, if you think about the American mantra right now, the American mantra really is work, spend, repeat. And many of us are just like stuck in this cycle because we believe the lie. We really are what we have. And if we don't have much, what are we, Right? Uh, others in here, your temptation is not to root your identity in your performance or your possessions, but for you, it's in your pleasures. These are the people who believe the lie, I am what I want. And I want to be real sensitive here, but I think one of the most cutting examples of this in our culture today is around this idea of sexual orientation. And you will notice, especially in our culture today, people are literally identifying themselves based off of their sexual preferences. So some will say things like this, I am straight, or I am gay. Like it's an identity that we identify with based off of what our desires are. And listen to me, I am in no way saying that your sexual desires are not important. Sexual desires are important, but listen, is it the most important thing about you? Like, is it really all that you are? I mean, is your identity like, is your sexuality, like, really this large enough container to hold the inner ache inside of you of, of longing for meaning and purpose in life? The truth is, we all have desires, right? We all have certain sexual preferences. We all have preferences for certain foods. I mean, we all have desires. And listen, those desires are real, but they are not the realest thing about you. They're not. They're not the realest thing about who you are and what you're called to do. The fourth place some people are tempted to root their identity in is, is not just performance or possessions or pleasures, but it's in popularity. These are people who believe the lie, I am what other people think of me. Some of us in the room never really quite outgrew the high school cafeteria. Like we're still doing whatever we can to try to sit at the cool kids' table. That's why for some of us today, when we walk into a room like this, or you walk into work, or you walk into school, right? You're still trying to see where you measure up. What do other people think of me? And you still feel like, I have to be cooler. I have to present myself as more educated or smarter. And this is really a temptation, I think, in the age of social media, like Instagram. Because literally in Instagram, what's that all about? You literally airbrush your life. You put a filter on your life so that you can project an image of yourself that really doesn't even line up with reality so that you can impress people who really don't even matter to you in the end. And, you know, I mean, for some of us in here today, I mean, that, that struggle with this idea of rooting our identity in our popularity, I mean, literally, guys, like for some of you, your emotional state, if you think about it, it rises and falls off how many likes you get on social media or how many compliments you get whenever you walk into a room like this. I think about a friend of mine who's on Instagram, and literally every single post is either a picture of his brand new car, his brand new house, or a selfie. And it's like he's, he's honestly, I mean, it's sad to me because it's like every single picture, I mean, he's posting two or three pictures a day, and it's like he's saying, like, please like me. Like, please tell me that I've got a great life. Please tell me that you approve of who I am. And I'm not trying to beat up on my friend. I mean, he was in town this past week. We went and grabbed dinner together at Skinny Jay's. Like, I, I love him. I thank God for him. But I share that just to say this. If some of you can be honest today, there are some of us in the room who place a higher premium on what people think of us than we realize. 
There are some of us in here who do not speak the truth because we're afraid of what others might think of us. We won't share our faith because we're afraid of rejection, right? We won't go and ask for help because we're afraid it makes us look weak. We won't be transparent. We won't be vulnerable. Some of us, I've literally seen people that will go as far as to choose a whole career based off of what career they think will get them the most praise from other people. And I could go on and on, but here's just my point today. Whether it's performance or possessions or pleasures or popularity, all of these are places that we're tempted to find our identity. And the reason, listen to me guys, hear this. The reason this is so dangerous, the reason this can literally rob you of the life you were created to experience is because when you root your identity in these things, you ultimately try to root your self-worth and your happiness and your security in something that can be taken away from you like that. And so, I mean, you know this is true, right? I mean, if your identity is rooted in your performance as a parent and your kid dies... Who are you then? Or your kid lives, and, and maybe sometimes, you know, for some of you, you might feel like even worse, like you, you find your, performance, your identity and your performance as a parent, and your kid lives, and you do all the right things, and they still turn out completely different than what you hoped they would. Then where's your joy and satisfaction come from? Or what if you know, your performance is, is rooted in your career or being physically fit, and you lose your job, or your health begins to fail you? What if your identity is rooted in your performance of being better or smarter or faster or stronger or more successful than someone else, but then you look around and you notice there's always someone better, faster, stronger, or smarter than you? Or what if your identity is rooted in your possessions and you have to downsize your house or you have to sell your fishing boat or you have to get rid of your iPhone? And who are you without your iPhone? You're a nobody, right? What about if your identity is rooted in your popularity? And that thing that made you so cool is no longer cool. What if you can no longer hang your hat on being all state? What if nobody cares anymore? Right? Or, or that you're, you were top 10 in your class in academics, right? Or what if your hair begins to fall out or things begin to sag or, or whatever else, right? Like, like, who are you then? We just try to speak it real, you know? This is real life, guys. What if your identity, what if your identity is rooted in your pleasures and you don't get that thing that you feel like you have to have to be happy? Or worse, you get it and you're still not happy. Or what if your your identity is rooted in your pleasures and your pleasures change like the wind? You don't have you don't have a clue who you are then. I could go on and on, but here's the point to root your identity in these things, listen guys. To root your identity in these things really is, as Jesus called it, to build your life on the shifting sand. It's to put your self-worth and your happiness and security in things that will not be able to stand the test of time. And that is why I think one of the key tasks in our discipleship to Jesus is making sure that we get our identity and calling from heaven and not from earth. And I know some of you, you're smart, so you're sitting there thinking, okay, that's great, Jerry, but I've never had an experience like Jesus had here in Matthew 3. I've never had that. I mean, that would be great. Like, good for Jesus. Yeah, he comes out of the Jordan, right? The clouds open. God says, this is my son whom I'm I'm well pleased. I would love for that to happen. But I've never, you know, come out of the bathtub and and heard some sort of voice, which I'm sure it would sound like James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman, right? Like, never heard that. Never heard God declare this for me. And so how can I find my identity in heaven rather than earth when I've never had a moment like Jesus here in Matthew 3? It's a good question to ask. 
to ask, right? And I'm glad that you did ask it. Because according to the scriptures, listen, the moment, hear this, the moment that you trust in Jesus Christ, the moment that you surrender your life to him, that you believe he is who he says he is, and he's done everything that he says he's done through his life, death, and resurrection, the moment that happens, listen to me, the words that God spoke over Jesus in Matthew 3 are the same words he speaks over you. In other words, what is true of Jesus, the moment you trust in him, immediately becomes true of you. And there are so many verses that I could go to to try to prove this. My, my, my task this week was not figuring out uh, how to find a verse to prove my point, but which ones to cut out, because there are so many that drive this point home. But I, I want to read uh, just a couple to you. Starting in Galatians chapter 3. You can turn there if you want to. If not, well, I think we'll put it on the screen. Um, Galatians chapter 3. Start in verse 26. Galatians 3 verse 26. Listen to these words. For in Christ Jesus. And hang on to that phrase. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And ladies, don't get too hung up on that idea that you were just called a son of God. Here's the reason that the scripture does that. Is in this time period, if you were a daughter, you got nothing from your father. You didn't get his inheritance. The inheritance went to all the sons. What Paul's saying here is, guess what? In Christ, you're all sons. You all get the inheritance. That's what he's saying here. It doesn't matter if you're female, male, black, white. doesn't matter. If you're in Christ, you get the inheritance. And then look verse 27. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, here's that phrase again, you've now put on Christ. And look at this, verse 28. So there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What is true of Jesus is now true of you. Uh, one more place I want you to look, Ephesians chapter 1. If you flip over, kind of go to the right, one page, Ephesians. If you've never read Ephesians, it's like, it's like a masterpiece in the New Testament. It, it's written by the Apostle Paul, who is a missionary and a theologian. And, and right here in chapter 1, all he wants to do is just give us a ground zero look at our new identity in Christ. And I'm going to read verses 3 through verse uh, 14, so just take a deep breath, settle in, Okay. I'm going to read a few verses in a row. It'll be all right. Just listen. Let me read this over you. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In him... 
We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen? I mean, how good is that? It's actually one long run-on sentence in the Greek, and there's so much to unpack here. You could literally preach this passage right here and still wouldn't uncover everything in a whole year. But notice, for our purposes today, notice this reoccurring phrase that keeps popping up in chapter 1, the phrase, in Christ. It comes up nine times in 11 verses. It's used over 150 times in the New Testament, mainly by Paul, because it's his favorite way of talking about our new identity in Christ. And ultimately what he is saying here is this. Because you're in Christ and because he, or because you are in him and he is in you, everything that is now true of Jesus is true of you. And what all does he say is true of you? Like, let's just look at this again. I think we can put it on the screen for you. Because you're in Christ, he literally says in verse 3, you're blessed with every blessing, every spiritual blessing. You've been blessed, not just some of the spiritual blessings. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. In verse 4, you've been chosen before the foundation of the world. You are now holy, you are blameless, and you are loved. You want to hear some good news this morning? If you are in Christ... There is nobody in the face of the earth that has ever been loved by God more than you're loved by God. And God is not going to love some future you when you get your act together more than he loves you right now. He loves you infinitely and perfectly and unconditionally if you're in Christ. You're loved. That's fantastic. I'll just say this right now, by the way. If that I'll never say anything better than that, ever. Like, that's as good as it gets, man. Like, it's amazing. I hope you let this just fill your heart. Verse 4, you're chosen before the creation of the world. You're holy, you're blameless, you're loved. Verse 5, you're predestined, adopted as a son and da- or daughter. You're in the purpose of God's will. Verse 6, you're to the praise of his glorious, uh, you're to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 7, look at this, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, and you're rich in God's grace. Verse 8, you're wise in understanding. Verse 9, because you're in Christ, you're aware of the mystery of Christ. Verse 11, once again, he says you're chosen and predestined. Verse 12, <clears throat> because you're in Christ. You're for the praise of his glory. Verse 13, you're now included. You're included. I just told my wife today, I said, you know, when I was a kid, uh, my, all the cousins had this thing called the Cousin Club. They literally had a folder. It's called the Cousin Club. And I never got invited into the Cousin Club. Just, well, I just, it, just, it just dawned on me this morning. I was like, I'm still bitter about that now that I think about it. You know, it's like, <clears throat> I never got a seat at the table. It's my family. And I didn't get a seat at the table. Look, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You're in Christ. You got a seat at the table. You are included and you're saved. Verse 14, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're God's possession. Verse 15, you're in line for his inheritance. You're for the praise of his glory in case you missed it the first two times. All of that is true of you. If you are in Christ. And if you're here and you're like, man, I still have a hard time understanding this. I mean, I can't really wrap my mind. What do you mean, Jerry, like in Christ? So let me try to explain it like this. How many of you in here remember the story of David and Goliath? Let's see it. Okay, majority of you. Um, Have you ever wondered why only two warriors fought that day when there were two entire armies faced off against each other? 
You ever wonder that? Like, why didn't the Philistines, all the Philistine army, attack all of the Israelite army instead of just David and Goliath fighting, and then then it was over? And, And the answer to that question is in short, because Goliath was chosen to represent the Philistines in battle, and then he issued a challenge to Israel. And here was the challenge. I'll just read it to you, 1 Samuel 17. He said to Israel, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we, the Philistines, will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you, Israel, shall be our servants. And so he issues a challenge and what happens, right? Israel chooses this young shepherd boy from Bethlehem named David, who would actually go on to be their king. And you know the rest of the story, right? Like David walks up and he says, I'm not going to let you defile God. You come at me with a sword, but I come at you. I come at you with the power of God. And so he throws a stone, hits Goliath right between the eyes. He falls down and then uh, David goes over there and literally cuts Goliath's head off. It's an amazing story. He's like holding up. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's the Bible. And in that moment, listen, in that moment while David is standing over Goliath holding his head up in his hand, And the Philistines are terrified. In that moment, David was representing Israel. Even though Israel was not actively participants in the battle, because they were in David, so to speak, David's victory became their victory. David's freedom became their freedom. His kingdom became their freedom. You're like, why does that matter? Because, listen, in the same way that David represented Israel, Jesus Christ now represents you. We are, the Bible says, united to him when we trust in him. We're united to everything that he is and everything that he's done. That's why in the scripture it says when you trust in Christ, you have been crucified with Christ, you have been buried with Christ, you have been raised with Christ, and you have even been seated with Christ in the heavenly places, though right now we still walk with both feet on the ground. In other words, good news, Jesus' victory has become your victory. His freedom has become your freedom. His kingdom has become your kingdom. What's true of Jesus is now true of you. And I know about maybe some of you hear that and you're still not buying it and you're like, not me. Mm-mm. There's no way it's true of me. I mean, Jared, I looked at porn last night. I know I'm not holy. I've been sleeping with my girlfriend. I don't know what the Bible says about that. There's no way I'm blameless. Right? Or maybe you're like me, you're a top three on the Enneagram, and it's like, dude, I struggle with envy and discontentment, and I can be overly competitive. There's no way that all of this is true of me. And listen, when you start to feel that, you're on to realize, and the gospel really is the most scandalous news on the face of the earth. You start to realize why when we sing amazing grace, you really can feel that, oh, it's the most amazing grace. It's the most amazing news on the face of the earth. Because unlike any other religion in the world, what the gospel message says is at the core of its message, it says the reality is this. Your identity is no longer rooted in what you do, but it's rooted 100% in what Christ has already done for you. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that God made him, speaking of Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that we may become the righteousness of God. Do you realize that whenever you trust in Jesus, literally, you receive his perfect record. His righteousness is credited to you. That's why in Hebrews 10.14, it says that right where you sit right now, you look perfect. Perfect in the eyes of God. Because when he sees you, he sees the perfection of Jesus. And here's the real kicker. I mean, that's great news to me. 
But here's the real, and here's what gets even better is not only is this identity true of you theologically and positionally, but if you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, it's becoming even more true of who you are in reality. In other words, I'll say it like this. If you are in Christ, you are right now through the power of the Holy Spirit in the process of becoming who you really are in Christ, in reality. Which means everything that I'm talking about today, if you really have received this grace, if you really are in Christ, you're not shrugging sin off and saying, ah, it's no big deal. You're not sitting there and saying, oh, I'm forgiven. Well, that means I can live however I want. I don't need to repent. I don't need to, to pursue the things that, that Christ said pursue. I'm forgiven. It's already a done deal. I'm just going to live however I want. If that's what you're saying, you don't know what you have. Because when you really understand who you are in Christ, when you say, man, this is who I am, this is the potential that's locked up inside of me, you then want to step into it so that you can become the person you were created to be in Christ. And this is what Paul is getting at in Ephesians. I mean, there's six chapters in Ephesians. The first three chapters are literally him, literally him saying, this is who you are in Christ. 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 And then he finally comes to chapter 4, and he says, now be that. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, literally, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He says... Brothers and sisters, those who have trusted in Jesus, this is who you are, so go be who you are. This is your identity and calling now. Go live up to it. And, and don't misunderstand Paul. He's not saying go earn it. Right? I, I think about the movie Saving Private Ryan, which is one of my favorite movies. And at the very end of it, it's like a surprise ending. You have Matt Damon's character. He's in World War II. These guys save his life. And you just see him, he's got, you know, tears in his eyes, and then all of a sudden it like morphs, and it's like, you know, decades down the road, and he's like this old 80-year-old World War II vet, and he's in a cemetery, and he's standing at Captain Miller's grave. Captain Miller's the guy in the movie who gave up his life so that Matt Damon's character can live. And he's standing there at the grave, and he looks at Captain Miller's grave, and he says, I hope I've earned everything that you've done for me. And he starts crying, and his wife comes up, and he looks at his wife, and he's crying. He says, tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I've lived a good life. And it's really a haunting ending, because what you have now is all of these people died so that he could live, and he now lives with this crippling weight and expectation of, did I earn it? Did I live up to it? Did I measure up? Guys, that is not at all what Paul is saying here. But rather, hear this, hear this, and we're almost done. What Paul is saying when he says walk in a manner worthy of your calling is what he means here is this. If you are in Christ, you have been given freely a high and holy calling along with all of the power you need to live this out. And therefore, what he's saying here is don't waste your life on anything less than this. Don't settle. Don't settle. You have no idea there's a potential that's inside of you. Be the man, be the woman God created you to be. And maybe another way you can understand this is to think about it like this. Um, on my wedding day, okay, whenever uh, we exchanged vows, me and my wife, and um, the moment that happened, though I didn't have a clue how to be a husband, the truth is I was still 100% fully Megan's husband. Oh, and there we are. Thank you so much, Ryan. I didn't have a clue how to be her husband. I still am learning how to be her husband. But the reality is, all these years later, I'm no more her husband than I was then. I was 100% 
Megan Pickney's husband at that moment. That identity was 100% true of me. Um, and now I'm just trying to learn how to live into that and grow up into that calling. Uh, another way to maybe explain it is like this. Whenever Megan and I had our first baby, we have three kids. When our first one came along, Nora, I had no idea how to be a parent. And if anybody tells you you can be prepared for parenting, that's a lie. Okay? <laughs> if you don't hear anything else, I'll say, hear that. I'll save you a lot of grief, a lot of time. Um, I had no idea how to be a parent, man. Anybody remember that first kid? It's like, you can't believe it when the doctors hand you a child. You're like, seriously? Like, you expect me? Like, you want me to leave with this child? It's like, I remember whenever we were driving home with Nora, and it's like, literally, I was, like, you know, you guys know I can tend to be, drive a little, fa- a little bit faster than the speed limit. And it's like, I'm, I'm driving on the way home at, like, no joke, like 40 miles per hour because I'm so afraid I'm going to kill our baby. It's like grandparents are passing us, and I'm like, yeah, you know, like, yelling at them, right? I'm scared to death. But here's the reality. When Nora was born, I received the identity as daddy. And I was 100% daddy then. I'm no more daddy now than I was then. It was mine. It was locked. It was secured. And now I'm just trying to learn how to live into it. Listen, I could go on, but here's the point. If you're in Christ, if you've surrendered to him, if you've trusted in his life, death, and resurrection, your identity is already rooted in him. Everything that's true about him is already true, 100% about you. Now, you may not be living in it. You may not have lived up to it yet. None of us have. It'll take a while to, to, to get there. But what is true of Jesus right now is true of you. You have every resource you need to be the man or the woman that God has created you to be. And therefore, as we end this morning, here's my encouragement to you. And we're done. Stop going back to your old way of living. Stop believing the lie that you're someone that you aren't. And embrace your one true identity in Christ. Stop building your life, guys, on what Jesus calls the shifting sands of performance and popularity and pleasures right? and, and all of these things. And discover the salvation and the satisfaction that you are longing for that can only be found in being the you who you were created to be in Christ Jesus. And the way that we want to try to help you do that, as we've said before, you know, as a church, we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to practice what we're learning. The Bible says that when we come, by the way, and we listen to a sermon like this, even if we took notes and then we just forget about it, we're like a person who looks in the mirror and forgets what we look like. So we want to take this now and apply it. We want to practice it out. And the way that we're going to uh, try to set that up for you is, again, if you have the app, you can actually look at this right now if you want to. It's okay, or it's a good excuse to act like you're looking at it and start texting people about lunch or whatever. And so if you open up your app, you'll see this logo at the bottom of the screen. You click on that, and each week we have a practice that corresponds with the message. And this week there's just two things we're really asking you to do. One is you'll see a list of your identity in Christ. There's like a lot of them. That's on the app, okay? You're going to see all those lists of identities of who you are in Christ. It's not an exhaustive list, but it is a pretty good list of who you are now because of what Christ, what's true of you right now. And one of the things we want to encourage you to practice this week is to read through that. And if there's any of those you're having a hard time believing, there's going to be scriptural references for each one, so you can go and read it further. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Take time, and I would encourage you to do it in the mornings. Start your day like this. Just carve out five to ten minutes, okay? And just say, okay, like, Lord... Like, which one of these am I having the hardest time believing? And pray and ask the Spirit to help you believe it more. And begin to really wrestle with these questions. Like, man, how would my life be different 
if I believed this was true about me? How would it change how I relate to my spouse or my kids? How would it change how I relate to God? How would it change how I think about myself and the way I talk to myself? How would it change how I relate to my enemies? How would it change how I work, right? And begin to like really process that. And then what I want to encourage you to do is then uh, in your fight clubs, um, I want to encourage you as you meet with your fight clubs throughout the week. And if you're new here, by the way, I hate when people use like insider language and it's like, okay, like, okay, I guess I'm not cool. You know, like fight clubs, awesome. Um, Fight Club, it's just like, it's, they're groups of three men or three women that are basically coming together and learning how to fight their sin with the gospel. They're basically trying to learn how to believe even more they are who God says they are and just live that out. And so when you're meeting with your fight clubs throughout the week, what I want to encourage you to do is this. You know when you meet with your brothers or sisters that there are certain areas where they're struggling to believe the gospel. They're, starting to be, they're, they're struggling to believe that what is true of Jesus is true of them. And so I want you to pray about, like, where is that in my brother or my sister's life? And then show up at Fight Club this week, whether it's Monday or whatever, and begin to try to speak some of that truth in their life. Be bold in this. Pray, like, God, give me a word for my brothers. And just say, hey, like, I just remind you, this is who you are in Christ, brother. You know, like, so what my Fight Club, that's remind me of a lot. Like, hey, man, like, Jared, you're not loved for what you do. You're loved for who you are in Christ. You know, it's just a reminder me of that. And so, so do that. And... Um, and then, of course, you'll have a discussion guide that goes along with this that you can uh, work through in your missional communities tonight, okay, or today, whenever y'all meet. Does that make sense? For Randy, it does. Okay, good. All right. Um, so as we end, we're going to end the same way we do every week with communion. And listen, before we start shuffling around, um, just don't let this become a routine, guys. This has been commanded by us from Jesus, not because it's like a rule or a hoop he wants us to jump through. It's just he knows we need it. We need it, man. We need it so bad. And, and this week, as you come and you partake of communion, uh, be reminded, as you tear off a piece of bread and you dip it in the juice, that if you've been rooting your identity and your performance, you no longer have to do that because Jesus performed perfectly on your behalf. If you've been rooting your identity and your possessions, that I am what I have, and if I have a lot, I'm valued. No, you're not valued because of stuff that's going to be in the junkyard 100 years from now. You're valued because you're in Christ. You're infinitely rich in him. If you're putting your, your root in your identity and your popularity and what other people think about you and you think, I am what I do, then, like, man, just be reminded, like, no. You're not what other people think about you. You're never going to be able to please everybody, right, Libby? No. Never going to be able to please everybody. You're always going to have someone that thinks you're a, a jerk or you're not spiritual enough or you're not cool enough or you didn't handle that right. Or it's, it's just going to happen, guys. But you know what the Father thinks about you? He loves you perfectly. Zephaniah 3 says he rejoices over you with singing. Come be reminded of that because of what Christ has done. If you're rooting your identity and your pleasures and you think, man, I am what I want and I have to go after what I desire and if I don't, then I'll never really find the true me. No, true pleasure and satisfaction is found in Christ. You were made for him. And until you find your identity rooted in him, you will never be fully satisfied 